I thought we could talk about AI generated art. There's no such thing. <laughs> that's that's how I'm starting. <laughs> we're already started. This is we're rolling. This is live. All right. All right. You're recording. I, I invited all my Twitter friends. <laughs> all right. Hey Aaron. Hey Chris. What are we talking about today, buddy? So today we're finally gonna talk about AI image generation and how and the effect that that is having on the whole world of of not not just not just traditional art but photography stock photography it is it, the world is going crazy and I can't wait to talk about it with you I don't know if it's going to be a long conversation but let's let's dive right in <laughs> okay this is bit depth a conversation about the intersection of art and technology This is your topic, so you uh, you lead us off. You want to recap sort of what's been going on the past few months with uh, with all this? Okay. For anybody out there who has not seen a headline about any of these tools yet, there now exists a technology where you can just type a descriptive phrase like a car in the middle of the forest with red paint and there are sparks flying out of it and birds are flying in the sky and a computer will make that image. And in my experience, I've been playing with this a little bit, and nine times out of 10, it gets what you mean. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. Everything from from very representational stuff, like like I just, the other day for my blog, I've been generating images to use with my for my blog. And I, I wanted a picture of Jeff Bezos eating pizza. And I was like, Jeff Bezos in an office eating pizza. And it gave me a what looked like sort of a painting of Jeff Bezos eating pizza, right? But it can also do stuff like a city in the clouds rising out of the flames in space. It does like crazy imaginative stuff too, which is pretty wild. So obviously this has implications. Now you can just type words that describe a picture you want into a computer and it will be made for you. In some cases, it's not what you would get from even a cheap contractor on Fiverr. Sometimes it's like totally unexpected, unusable garbage. Uh, some of these systems can't output very high resolutions at all. So you're kind of limited in what you can do with them. Um, whether they're printable or not at, at any scale is like kind of questionable. But that's um, all going to change soon, right? Like the limitations that we have here in terms of like size of output is only a matter of time or or paying some money to get more CPU time to get a larger file outputted. It's basically inevitable. Sure. Um, so, so yeah. So just like laying the the foundation of the conversation, there are a few of these systems that exist. I've been spending a lot of time playing with one called Midjourney, which is free to sign up for. Uh, probably the most notable one that's been getting the most press is called Doll E, and there it's the second version, Dolly 2, that one just removed their wait list 
this week. So you can now sign up, you can register for a Dolly account on openai.com and start playing with it. They'll give you 50 credits of processing for free and then 15 more per month forever until they decide to start charging for it. And you can obviously pay them and people are paying them. Yeah. There's one called there's one called playgroundai.com. That one can either use Dolly 2 or uh, something called Stable Diffusion, which is an open source image generator. Or you can go download one of the many um, source code packages of Stable Diffusion and run it on your own computer, which you'd only want to do if you if you have like some serious video cards. It's like right. really GPU heavy. And a lot of time on your hands, perhaps. And possibly a lot of time on your hands. So those are the ones that I know about. Maybe there are more. Uh, and they've been making the rounds because like Dolly just removed the wait list. Now more people can get into it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I kind of wanted to talk about what are the implications for photography for traditional art and like marketing advertising, um, collateral and for copyright. Interesting topic. So now we have this machine that's generating art. We have people requesting art. I'm going to argue that no one who puts in keywords is an artist in the same manner that when I'm in Hawaii and I have someone draw a caricature on the street of my daughter, I didn't create that drawing. Some guy did, right? So like we're just feeding in keywords to have a machine and whoever coded that machine generate, I guess, art if we want to call it that. Is that is that a fair statement here? Sure. I, I think that becomes a game of semantics, but ultimately... Uh, well, let me talk a little bit about my experience with this. Midjourney came around. I discovered that hey, it's free to just sign up on midjourney.com. You go into disc into this like Discord chat, and you interact with the Midjourney bot, which is um, just the interface into the thing. I have no idea how this runs. It's all closed source, proprietary, secret yeah. stuff. You interact with the bot. They have some probably AWS cluster of GPUs generating stuff. Uh, or or who who knows, who knows where it's running but it's like a big. lot of process it, there's thousands of users churning images out on this discord server so they're they're burning some <laughs> like yeah. they're they're burning some gpu cycles someplace uh and i you know i just kind of wanted to see what it was all about and i started playing with it and then i realized well i i actually use a lot of stock photography from unsplash on my blog everybody likes to have a nice header image on their articles whatever and unsplash unsplash is is you know free right free uh roy- like royalty free photography you only have to credit the artist which which i do uh, it's basically all photography but it's stock photography not a lot of the like most of the images are pretty boring like you you want to get something that kind of evokes the imagery of what sure. you know the post is about like oh it's a picture of a compass okay so it's like we're on a journey whatever but but like none of these are like truly I want to say that very few of the unsplash images are like inspired <laughs> unique like they're they're no unique. one's putting the, high the photos art are good. On, on unsplash so you're going to go from not paying a photographer to get a piece of work for your blog to not paying a computer to get a piece of work for your blog so in your case and I think in many cases literally nothing has changed for anyone other than as opposed to scrolling through screens you're now typing in keywords to get a piece of work and probably having a much broader, larger impact on the environment to do so because of the power required to generate your image. 
possibly that is an implication. I do pay for Mid Journey now, so I guess I went from not paying royalty free stock photographers oh, good. to oh, good. to to pay. So at least I'm, I'm I pay like ten dollars. So you're the worst of I us. Paid 10, what you're saying I paid ten dollars one time. Um, what's cool about it though is everything it produces is totally wild, and you can you can't always get exactly what you want, but that's fine. You can't with stock photography either. And so I started playing with it. So I've, I've done this now for a bunch of blog posts and for images even within the posts where I just wanted to like hit some hit some key point. I'll just go in and like type in some something that comes to my mind and will and try to generate it. Um, and and so I've now had the experience of of kind of understanding how this works. And and uh, and now I've, I'm seeing these headlines like, well, so here's here's the thing that's kind of interesting. It's an artificial intelligence model. So it converts text to images by having a massive database of described images. And whatever text you put in, it tries to find that text in other descriptions sure. and like basically mashes the pixels together until it thinks the correlation is high enough. It's wild that this works at all. But where do those source images come from? I have no idea, but it's a, so it's a, it's a difference engine, like all other, like in quotes, AI, right? Like some human has trained it and fed it in some images from somewhere with descriptors. And then it's just taking in your text and trying to figure out what matches. Is that a true statement? I won't speak to how it works. Under I don't the think covers. anyone actually knows, I suppose is a fair, is a fair point. Well, I, each of, each of these systems, I think uses slightly different algorithmic approaches to the modeling and i don't know like fundamentally the way that it works if you had to just boil it down to like the most abstract idea is whether a pixel in a certain location with a certain color should be there or not is based on the statistical probability that it would be there in an image that has the text that you described but like how it how it gets from it, it's it's cool with mid journey it will give you interstitial interstitial images while it's working so you see like the image right. at ten percent at twenty percent at thirty percent and it starts as like a blur with just like blobs of color and sometimes like a person will start to form and then between forty percent and sixty percent it completely changes like it just That's it reached a point where it was like statistically this doesn't make sense we're going to go in a different direction. It really is just like throwing spaghetti at the wall until it turns into the Mona Lisa. Like if you could throw spaghetti at the wall for an infinite number of hours, eventually the Mona Lisa would emerge. That's it's sure. like a, you know, an infinite monkeys right. and typewriters kind of thing, except, except it does it in a finite amount of time. And usually it's just a couple minutes. Crazy GPUs, super fast. <laughs> yeah. But so what happened recently that um, that made me want to have this conversation even more is Google and Boston University researchers work together to make this system called um, Dream Booth, which is uh, an additional like tuning layer that you run on top of an existing model. So you can take like a stable diffusion model that's already trained, and then you can use this dream booth thing to fine tune it. I didn't read a ton about how this is actually done, but what I know is you can feed more content into dream booth. And somebody did this with a whole bunch of work by a specific artist, uh, a woman who was then quoted in 
this news story because she discovered in a Reddit thread somewhere that somebody had done this. They had trained a model using Dream Booth to basically plagiarize yeah. her. It's not plagiarism because she didn't make any of those works, but the works will look like she made them. I mean, it'd be similar to if you hired like a forger who does paintings to make similar works of someone, right? It's sort of the same idea. You're just having a computer do it for you. There's no, there's no real difference. The intent is the same, right? I'm going to produce a series of works that mimic someone else's. So I go find a painter who's good at forgery and he looks at all of this lady's great works and he makes pieces that are similar. And maybe you try to pass them off as hers or whatever. I'm not sure what the end goal is. Are, are you supposed to be proud that now you're an artist who trained an AI to make works that look similar to someone else's? Like, I'm not sure what is accomplished through doing this other than to prove that you can. Is it wrong? I mean, it's, it's wrong in the same way it would be to hire someone to make physical prints that look like hers, right? Like it's disingenuous. Is that wrong? Sure. Is it? Why? Because you're, you're taking the skill and the time that someone else put into creating something and you're taking away all, all the work that, that person had to do to figure out that style, to figure out what people, you know, that, that artist probably put a lot of time and effort over years into developing the style, forming a style that people respond to. And you're skipping all of that, right? You're skipping all the effort. And all you're doing is feeding her images into a model and coming out with a result. I think what's interesting for me is I'm not sure that it's wrong to emulate another artist. I mean, you're not really emulating when you tell a machine to, to make a thing that looks exactly like this. Well, you're, it's not. It Nothing that it produces is exactly like anything that it's been shown. Or, or, or incredibly similar to. I, I apologize. What is too incredibly similar? Like, it, are you allowed to use dan 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 da 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 in your own music? Or is that sure. the exclusive right? Right. I think it's a little subjective, right? And it's kind of case dependent, like all things with, with art. And you'd have to look at the works it's producing and then her original works to figure out. But uh, I actually haven't seen the story. So I don't know. Was she upset about this? Was she was she happy that someone was copying her work and her style and throwing it out of an AI, an AI algorithm? Was this, was this good for her as an artist in some way? I don't know. I didn't read it. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> I don't, good thing we brought no, I it don't, up. I don't. I don't I don't think I don't think she was super happy about it. Well, why wouldn't she be happy about it? I think it would be it would certainly be illegal to try to pass off any of those creations as hers as created by her because that would be a uh, fraud. Right. But like if I There's a morality if I go down, versus a, a legality, I think is what we're talking about here, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, this makes sense. But but I so I, I I just I love I love morality conversations in the world of art because it is kind of mushy. Like if I go down to Michael's and I buy a whole bunch of canvases and I bring it back to my house and I work really hard to reproduce the work of any living painter, like name one, doesn't matter. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. It's it's cheap and lazy and a little bit disingenuous if people see it. But sure, I mean you you can do it. Is it? It's, it's cheap and lazy. A little bit. Like, why wouldn't you try to find your own style, find something that appeals to you? Why would you try to duplicate and mimic the work of someone else? Unless you, I mean, if you get some great graphication out of that, I guess great. But, you know, if you take that work and you go try to show it, it's, uh, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, that, that, that would certainly be wrong. And I wonder, I don't, I don't know what the underlying motivations were for this person to use Dream Booth in that way. I don't know what they 
wanted to ultimately do with these things. Um, but it, it just seemed, it seemed interesting to me that as you mentioned before, like there's no avoiding this. It's only going to get better. We're not going to make it stop existing. And, um, it's, it's going to get easier to, to emulate specific artists, I think. So the idea of having an, having, having a style that you, that you like and wanting to see something specific that you can imagine it done in that style is going to be possible. Yeah. And what does that mean? What does that mean for the, for the creators? I mean, I could imagine a world where someone sees a photo from any location and they go there and shoot their meteor, like, you know, their very mediocre version of the same photo from the same same location. They feed it into an AI and they say, Hey, here's my crappy version. Here's a, here's a great version by a a real photographer. Uh, Go ahead and make my photo look just like this. And in the end, like, is, is your output so close that like, it's hard or impossible to tell the difference? Like you can imagine a world where you could do that. And then you have people with, with little skill and ability other than to, to go somewhere, take a, a crappy photo and then train an AI to duplicate, you know, a, a good photographer's work. I really want to talk about how much, how much that matters in like from a from a purely artistic sense but before we talk about that let's back up and talk about stock photography because i bet we'll be able to bang this out really clearly right off the bat okay so unsplash exists there are other sources of stock photography that are that are low or no cost i can't believe how many photographers are putting their work on unsplash just like literally never getting paid a lot of work went into creating those images i'm sure a lot of them are very well produced and yet you could just use them if you attribute them and now shutterstock has announced that they're partnering with OpenAI, the makers of dolly 2 to create an ai powered stock generation feature so it's and i i found another website that currently does this but you had to like sign up or pay or something i didn't want to do that but you basically like type in what kind of photo you're looking for type in what it what it is and they'll try to find it in their library. And if they find photos that match, they'll pitch you the matching ones, like any current search feature. Sure. But if it doesn't, they'll offer to make it. <laughs> and like, this is wild. Like, can you imagine going on Shutterstock and searching for like, I don't know, exactly 12 people in a white room reading a book? And they're like, sorry, we couldn't find that. Do you want us to make that for you? And then like five minutes later, it makes what looks like a honest to God, real photograph of exactly what you described. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how well it can do it. It'll be even more interesting to see who, I mean, listen, not a lot of people are buying stock photography, right? Like even big corporations and the the real money isn't in stock anymore. Really, it's the stock photography. It's these sort of like commercial gigs where you're commissioned to make something very specific. And I, I don't know if art directors are going to want to sit there typing in keywords, trying to get exactly what they want versus like hiring someone who is a, who is like a true creative to deliver that. So I, I don't know if a lot of people are making a lot of money in stock. If there are some like that, that might go down, but I still think, um, you know, people who are producing this corporate style high end work are probably going to keep producing the corporate style high end work. 
until they produce enough that Dream Booth can be trained to emulate that style, and then we'll have a catalog of styles you can pick from. No, but ser- but seriously, I, I think I think you're right. I think I think the high end of photography will always survive because that concierge service will always be valuable. But to the extent that un- the unsplashes of the world pulled the rug out from under stock photography. I bet five years from now, stock photography is like at the at the low to medium end is basically dead. Like the, these systems are, they're so good now. Messing around with Mid Journey has like three or four modes, and one of them is optimized for photography. It tries to produce things that look like photos, and uh, it's limited in resolution in that mode. But what it produces is so close today that I bet five years from now, it's like it's just sure. like you can describe whatever you want, and it's done. And I bet this like Shutterstock thing is just going to be like who who's even going to try to pedal their photos? You'll have to do something truly exceptional to beat the computer. I would I would bet. Really heartens me in a broader sense here that we're devoting all these resources and time into making sure we can generate high end AI images as opposed to solving any of the other world's problems. It's nice that we've run out of things to solve. That this is what we're uh, spending all of our time training AI to do. Yeah, well, look. I mean, if you want to, if you want to really talk about that, let's talk about how Richard Branson is launching a cruise ship. Like they, now, he has Virgin Cruises. So, like, yeah, Richard Branson could be doing a lot more to help save the planet instead of pumping a whole bunch of gray water into the ocean. So, yeah, like, yeah, people do good and bad things at the same time. That's true. I wish we could marshal all of the resources of the planet to solve our most compelling. <laughs> Our, our biggest our biggest challenges as a race but hey but, as we continue to kill off this planet at least we could sit at home with a vr headset and look at some really compelling vr images <laughs> i mean that just makes me feel warm and cozy for my kids okay let's talk about let's talk about uh looking at ai images with your kids or let's talk about this future that you sort of described of you get to just you you get to just like maybe take a crappy photo and pump it through an AI and have it come out as a beautiful photo. What does that mean? So like, I agree that that is basically like like lazy artistry. Like you're not you're doing little of the work. The computer's doing a lot of the work. I would propose that a lot of post processing is done by sort of semi automatic systems slash it's okay to use automation to solve some of those problems. But I wonder how much that actually matters if you're producing, if beautiful images are produced. Maybe you don't deserve all the credit for it. Maybe you're not like a great craftsman or great artist, but more beautiful images than exist. Are those any less compelling as images to the viewer? No, but there are software, the software tools available now to us are pretty, are pretty limited and still require a lot of manual input and choices from the photographer. So like you can't just open up, you know, uh, any of these automated tools and get anything close to what is a good looking photo, right? There's still a lot of creative choice that's left of the individual. What I'm talking about is a future where like, you don't have to make any choices. Like you dump in like, Hey, here's a photographer that I love. Here's 50 of his images I scraped off the web. Here's my crappy version of this photo I took at noon on a Tuesday from an otherwise like great location. Go make it look like a fiery red sunrise with, you know, everything else this guy has. And this AI says, sure, no problem. And, and out comes this image that looks like you spent, you know, 30 trips out there to get the right sunrise and the right light and the right post-processing. 
And then you pass that off as like, I'm a great artist, but the thing is like, you're just good at feeding a machine, you know, source images. Yeah. So I think here's what's kind of interesting too about that point. I think it will always matter to some viewers how the thing was made. And you can look at, like, we love to talk about Elia Licardi. I like his work. He really pioneered that sort of time blending thing. Sure. He's creating an image that didn't exist in the moment. He took images at different times and blended them together. And a, and a lot of what he produced is from his skill in doing that blending. It matters to somebody that he did that. Like, it will matter. Like, it matters to people who bid on work at Sotheby's or Christie's how it was produced, what's behind it. And so if you, if you have a sunset that didn't exist and a computer imagined it, I think that's entirely a different thing than a sunset that you photographed. I think it might matter. And also, sorry, go on. Well, just like, I, I wonder where that line actually is in the photography world, because a lot of images are heavily post-processed. And even if, and even if we say a photographer deserves all the credit for the post-processing skill, it, it is still more than what it was when it was shot as a photo. And like, where is that line? I think, I think it might swing the other way. Um, I think people might desire more of an authentic work um, as, as AI becomes more and more prevalent as it's harder to tell what's real and fake. The, the scary world, and I'll, I guess I'll get off topic for a second here, but it, it kind of comes all back around. You know, imagine a world where AI video gets really good. And now I'm sitting at home and I say, okay, uh, I want a video of this senator. I want him standing on the steps of some memorial. I want him to give this speech. Here are the words he's going to say. And you pump it out on the internet and no one can tell the difference. The, the AI goes out, gets all the video of the guy who's ever given a public speech, gets all the words he says, uh, gets you know stock images of the location, gets people in the background. There's wind blowing. The thing looks 100% authentic. And that... And that's a reality that's coming, right? And I think as our dystopian future of telling what's real and fake, and I mean, look, we don't have great AI now and people can't tell what's real or fake in the world, right? You add in you add in images and videos and it gets, it gets even worse. Um, I guess my hope, my desire, and maybe it's um, naive of me, but my hope is that there becomes a drive for things that are actually authentic and real and, and maybe even verified real in some, in some way that people are going to gravitate naturally towards, you know, things that they can trust aren't just made up in a computer lab somewhere. I do think that that drive exists today. I, I do think that people value authenticity. I, 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 I really believe that people do value, value authenticity. What I think is also interesting about this is the image generators are trained on images, which means that anything that they pump out is, some kind of electronic statistical digital mishmash of what went in. And what I think is interesting about it is that means that they are necessarily constrained. And even though my experience with mid journey is like, you could scarcely type in anything that it doesn't have some kind of answer for that seems to visually make sense. It's constrained by what went in and humans will always be able to be more creative sure. and do more because we're organic, weird humans. And I, this, this, this goes back to sort of this like artistic nugget that I bring up with you a lot 
off offline off podcast is there a word for like off podcast like when 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 we chat <laughs> casually like i wonder if if a computer can just generate an absolutely perfect sunset how much value does that image have as a photograph other than the unhuman effort required to go to the same place every day until that sunset happens like it's it's like the, what the computer won't be able to create is the weird wacky stuff that has no precedent like a, a landscape photo of half dome has enough of a precedent that i can close my eyes and see it in my mind right now i know exactly what it looks like um there are probably people who could paint it from memory and so how much artistic merit does that have something that a computer can build because it's been photographed it's been done like so many times open question i don't have a great answer for you it's a long question so the the question is to recap if a computer can build a perfect sunset let's say from tunnel view at half dome that's what you're imagining in your mind's eye right you're staying at tunnel view where everyone else has and it can generate a perfect sunset is there is there any value in that is that the question not exactly so what's the like is there value of anyone else making a sunset photo from tunnel view yeah yeah or like how offended should we be if a computer can generate a thing that i could also do (laughs) and like yeah it would take me a lot more effort and i deserve the credit for putting in that effort but i've like I I've know. photographed a thing so, that is there. So I've seen just recently over the past few weeks, a number of photos from around tunnel view and guys who hike up the hill there have captured some like amazing weather, right? Like it's fall, there's color down below, there's snow up top and there's like insane clouds and weather. And um, at least I don't believe these are AI generated. I follow a lot of these guys. I don't think they're AI generated images. So like, even though it's been shot to death, um, it's never the same every day, right? And like you get a sense of like awe and inspiration looking at this and you know, knowing that someone was there out in the cold and there's like these pretty leaves below you and the snow on the mountains above you and there's storm clouds everywhere. And like it's like an amazing scene. And like even though you've seen it a million times, it still should be really pretty to you because it's one of the most, you know, epic places on earth. And when a computer generates a fake version of that, it's like, I don't know. Like, do you get emotional if a computer generates like a fake image of your kid? It's like, no, a computer drew it. Like, who cares? I didn't take it. I wasn't there. Ooh, good question. Right. So you feed in the you feed in the AI all sorts of pictures of your of your kid, right? And then you say, like, my kid at his like next birthday. Do you need to take any photos of him at your birthday? Because like the computer gives you images of your kid at a birthday party. You have no connection to these images, right? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't take them, but you know, hey, it's your kid a, a couple months older at a birthday party. You touched on two things that are so important to this conversation. The first one is, what's the point of the picture? Well, pictures of my kid aren't fine art. I'm, I'll be the first to admit it. Most of them are taken with my cell phone. I think some of them are pretty nice, but they're documentary photos. They're photos, they're, they capture a memory, and that's basically it. If they're half blurry, it doesn't matter. Th- that memory is higher fidelity than the image itself. I would say that most fine art photographers hiking up really high cliff sides and doing some of these acrobatics and being out in crazy weather and everything are not in it just for the memory. They're trying to make an image of a certain compelling nature. So I think those things are not necessarily comparable. 
that would be my first. That's my first point. Sure, but we're talking. Well, okay. So the so the guy hiking up there is trying to make some work that is special and unique. And if the computer can make it, why should the guy ever hike up there again? I th- I think I think the question is how offended should a photographer be that a computer can generate it? There's not that they shouldn't or there's no offense to there's no offense to the computer. It's going to be the people who pass these off as their own photos. Yeah, that, that would be wrong to do. I mean, I I agree with you there. That's going to be the problem. And and you're going to have piles of people who are like, look how great a photographer I am. Look in the last six months, I've been to 70 countries and taken a billion photos and they're all awesome. Look at me. And they're going to post it everywhere and claim credit for it. And it's going to devalue the whole industry. And that's the problem with it. Well, that's interesting too. It's interesting because it makes you question where the value in the industry comes from. If if that is able to devalue the industry, then the industry only cares about the availability of an image of a certain place, and they couldn't care whether it was real or not. But I, th- I think that what you said earlier, we will find to be true. People do value that. Those frauds will be uncovered. Those people will be shamed. And Christie's will continue to sell actual like prints with provenance. Yeah, in the long run. But there's going to be a, a terrible intermediate period where a lot of these guys get get credit and money for just, you know, having all the skill of typing in some words into a into a computer and getting an image out of it. But I do think in the end, um, it will flush out. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's hard for the future. Uh, I had another thought here, but uh, maybe I'll save it. Okay, so. So another thing that I saw is this Pix and Perfect video. Did you get a chance to watch that? I did. Cool. So this, like, I had no idea. I I, th- I had a suspicion that it was going to be something about AI, but the title of the video was like, oh, it's crazy, the scary technology that can, like, fill fill in missing parts of video, missing parts of photos. And I was like, cool, I got to see what that is because it's only eight minutes long. And sure enough... It's a Dolly 2 demonstration. I didn't know that Dolly 2 could do this. You basically can take a photo, you can like erase part of it, and then it will fill in the erased part. But rather than just like copying other areas of the picture, it invents it from scratch and it makes it blend in. And this was super impressive to me because we were like, the example was removing a woman from a street scene where there's like a complex building and like fence behind her. And it just recreates that from scratch, like out of nothing. Um, the downside is Dolly 2 can only make square images. So if you have an image that's not square, like uh, you have to <laughs> do some like acrobatics to cut a square out of it and then like, re, you know, make it generate the erased part of the square and like put it back in, whatever. But I was pretty amazed. I was like, well, maybe this is a tool that could be useful and interesting. It'll probably be in Photoshop in a year. <laughs> It did an okay job. I'd be curious to like really pixel peep down and see how it how it really looks. A lot of the stuff looks good from a mile away, but um, up close is is less than perfect. So, you know, if you're trying to post on Instagram, like yeah, great. You're trying to make a uh, an eighty by sixty print of this, like maybe maybe not so good. And again, it has to be square. So I guess eighty by eighty. 
Um, but you wouldn't but, be able you wouldn't be able to anyway because Dolly Two is limited to ten twenty four by ten twenty four. That's the best it can do. Period. Right now, so we'd be looking years down the road. I suppose I could enlarge my image, then cut out ten twenty four sections, feed each of them independently into Dolly, then try and match it back together. Um, that might take some skill. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, I'd be curious to know like how good it it really is. There's been a bunch of AI, air quote AI. Like, it's not really an artificial intelligence. Like, none of this really is, but that's another soapbox I guess I can get on later. Um, maybe not today. Um, they've done an okay job, but, like, whenever you, like, really, really squint at it, like, it's never great. Like, the the sky replacement in Luminar, like, it looks really good until you really look at it and you're like, oh, boy, it's not really good. There are probably better ways of doing this. Yeah. And I, that's the question, like, is, is good enough okay? And if you're you're posting on Instagram, yeah, like, open Luminar, like, hit sky replacement, because no one's ever going to know that the masking isn't really great, and there's a halo around the trees, and that, like, it's not perfect, and the shadows are all wrong. But, like, hey, like, what do you care? It's Instagram. But if you're trying to make something that's, you know, a perfect, as, as close to perfect as your skills allow, compelling image, like, it's still nowhere near good enough. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the purpose. I, what I thought seemed really cool about this idea is if you're making a composition that's for some sort of marketing purpose, this is not fine art. And like you just want to be able to move a person in a photo like from one place to another in the picture. Photoshop does a really good, a really good job of automatically masking subjects now. So cutting the subject out is easy, but then replacing the background behind the subject is is what dolly too can do really well so now you can move the subject to a different area and really nobody would ever notice in that context uh, we're not talking about like fine art blown up really big or anything i'd, I'd argue the bar for marketing is lower than the bar for instance <laughs> like even, lo- like it's even what, lower like from what i've seen in the wild right like I, I i have seen wildly bad um photoshop jobs on like banners printed huge at trade shows and conferences handed out on cards um, oh yeah. So like the, the barrier for that's fine. Like who cares? Yeah. So just imagine what's coming next. Like you can feed some, you can feed some images into one of these tools and then you can add your own descriptions and it'll like add stuff to the picture. I might just start shooting film. Yeah, there you go. Just all film. Just screw it. Just all film. May I be a film photographer then? Literally just straight print off film. I'm gonna cancel my there. I'm gonna cancel my Spotify account. I only listen to vinyl now because it's the only way that I can know that it's truly authentic. I don't think those things are related at all. I disagree entirely. No, I mean like the only way to know that it's like truly original is to hold it in your hand. I mean, unless you have someone playing the music for you, how do you know what that vinyl is recorded from or printed from? I mean, okay. Like, like you don't have you, so, don't, you don't have a band in your do, in your living room playing music for you. You know that Taylor Swift is selling vinyl records, right? Oh yeah, tons of them. So, set, set the record, right? This past like couple of weeks ago, like of like most records, like vinyl records sold in the modern era. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. Crushing it in vinyl. It seemed like it seemed like the industry experts were most surprised that she could find the manufacturing capacity. That that was the like. Just oh. having vinyl supply Wait. chain was like the surprise. It's almost like people are clinging to things that are that are real and tangible and not um, computer driven. Well, this is that we're getting way off topic, but I heard it described like 
some people some people like vinyl because they think it sounds better sure and other people buy vinyl because to them it's like merch they'll still listen to it on spotify but they want to own the record because they have like a case somewhere you know it could be an experience too and i think people are looking for authenticity right like we have a buddy who got big into records you know and we were over at his house and he was like hey i just went to like a tag sale and got like two crates of records like let's like let's get drunk and play a bunch and like see what's on here you know and it's like a it's a personal experience you can have and it's not a subscription and it's not a digital file and it's like a real tangible thing you can do with friends and I think people want that more than companies realize or or want to admit to. Well, I think I think at least as far as vinyl goes, everybody knows it now. As soon as Taylor Swift is selling like is selling vinyl very successfully, I think everybody must get it. But I, I don't know if vinyl ever even really died. What's weird is even thinking back to like the early two thousands, I knew a guy. We we worked at that uh, at that company that you and I worked at, and he was a. Uh, he had like a little record production company on the side, like music production company. And they sold a lot of vinyl. It was predominantly drum and bass music, which surprised me like the drum and bass world. They love vinyl and have been into vinyl like this whole time. Go figure. Really? Anyway, that's super off topic. So can uh, we, can we, can we stay off topic for a minute? Well, I was just going to say that um, AI generated music is also coming uh, and all of it right now is really, really bad, but you know, buckle up. Um, I think AI generated music is going to have the same obstacles that AI generated art is like, it's not, it's, you know, people want to know who the artist is, who the singer is, who the songwriter is, right? Like they want that connection. What are you going to do? Go to a concert and look at like a rack of gear that's, uh, it's playing your music for you. Well, people do that too. I mean, what, what do you think trance concerts are? It's somebody standing on stage, turning knobs, right? I've, and I've done that. I've. I've never, I, oh God, I have, um, it's not my thing. I was going to say I've never <laughs> been to one, but I can't, I can't actually own up to that. So, uh, we're going to say, uh, it's not my thing. I wouldn't know all my concerts I go to have people actually playing instruments on a stage. that's pumped through a, a PA system for us to listen to that takes skill and effort and, and years of, of practice. All right. So let's bring this thing home. Uh, AI generated images. How scared should we be? Well, that depends on who you are. If you're a stock photographer, you're you're late in being scared. You probably should have been scared ten years ago. <laughs> but uh, but your your career is almost over, so you better be like really really good at it, or or have some angle that that nobody else has. As for as for fine artists, I don't think you should be scared. But I do think that if if you're if you're a cre- if you're a visual creative of any kind, you ought to go play with Mid Journey right now or Dolly 2. They're free. Go try it. See what's coming down the pipeline. See if it makes sense to integrate into the way you think about your work. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, I don't agree at all with most of what you just said. That's okay. Switch to film. (laughs) Just like stop post-processing completely. Just take it to the dark room. You can be a credible artist making AI art um, it's no problem. Like I, I'll completely agree that like you can be an artist who makes AI art as long as you completely wrote the AI yourself and trained it. Oh, I think you misunderstood. I, I mean, I think you should play around with this stuff just to see what it can do and see what it's about. And if you're a visual artist who's not a photographer, those people do exist, Chris. You know, you might like to use 
some AI generated stuff as like a starting point, which I sure. recent I recently did and played around with some compositions that that merge my my generative like programmed art pieces with mid journey generated stuff. And, you know, it's cool. Like, it's cool. You should play around with it. If you're a photographer, there's probably not a lot there for you right now, but it's free to play with. So, you know, why not give it a try? Cool. I guess that wraps it up. <laughs> cool. See you next time. All right, guys. Thank you.